You're listening to Ember Weekend, your week and recap of all things Ember. This is episode 56. I'm Chase McCarthy. And I'm Jonathan Jackson, and we're here to keep you in the Ember Unloop. We're broadcasting from Hashrocket HQ, and this week's episode is called Did Insert Episode Title. So this past week, Lauren Tan uh, wrote a couple of blog posts, actually, uh, one on Dockyard and one on her personal blog, Emberway. Um... The first one is about Ember Composable Helper, and if you uh, if you're a longtime listener of the show, you probably remember uh, in episode 54. I mean, that's two or three weeks ago. Uh, we talked a lot about uh, Composable Helpers. Uh, I think that's one of her main uh, add-ons, like her main um, avenues of work at the moment. So, uh, so it's obviously a, a big deal. And in this blog post, she kind of explores uh, some of the responsibilities of. Uh, templates and kind of how they should be used and then when you might want to use something like composable helpers and really kind of dives into um, not not just number composable helpers but helpers in general and when they're useful and how they're useful a couple of the things that I thought were really interesting um, were kind of neatly describing some of the terms that we frequently use to describe t- templates but don't really ever think about too much so a lot of times in past episodes, uh, I've talked to Chase about templates should be declarative. And I don't think we ever really talk about what that means. And it's kind of that it should just, like, the template should communicate its own intent. And there's a couple of uh, there's a couple of sections in this blog post that really explore that concept. Saying, hey, you know, like, you, it, it's, you need to communicate the intent, but you need to communicate it clearly. So... Uh, one of the one of the things that continually came up, um, I think Phil Gengler had a had a thing in this at Ember NYC, was saying like at a certain point in time this can really fall apart and you want to really abstract into uh, computed properties into your context. But um, and and I think the example she gives here is a really deeply nested lispy looking uh, series of and or conditionals. So if you know and then paren or and then you know, two conditions with an and. I mean, it gets it can get out of hand. Um, but that's that's declarative, but it's not really communicating the intent very clearly. So it's still, I mean, it, all of the information is there, but it's not uh, succinct enough to be grokkable. So I think it's really important that, you know, when you talk about declarative templates, we make the caveat that it, it needs to communicate the intent clearly. So to, as soon as it doesn't do that clearly, um, you really need to pull out CPs. And that clearly, when I say clearly, I'm kind of doing air quotes here because that clearly is something that is left up to you to decide. So at a certain point in time, you have to use your best judgment. And that's why when we were talking to Lauren in the interview, we mentioned a few times that it takes a little bit of uh, discipline and, you know, the, the level of the developer kind of affects the style that your templates will follow. Because for some people, this will seem very natural and some people it will feel not. So you have to use your best judgment. Um so I thought that was really, really interesting. And this blog post kind of explores a lot of those concepts. Um, yeah, and then the, uh, the, <laughs> the, there were a couple of really good qu- quotes here. Uh, one from Kathy Syracuse, who had an amazing blog post that um, we're probably going to talk about in a future episode. Um, but one of the closing, uh, the closing uh, quotes that Lauren uh, said, and she said this on our, our interview uh, episode as well, was basically just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should. So once again, kind of talking about uh, drawing that line on where you need to go. You you really need to, you know, exercise some judgment. So that reminds me of the uh, the Eric Brin quote from training: the uh, with great power comes great responsibility to not do ridiculous shit. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. Just that's such a succinct way. 
right? It sounds like it's going to be like this really good, like this really good, nice, sincere quote, you know, from Peter <laughs> like, Parker. Not do ridiculous shit. Yeah. Just don't do ridiculous shit. <laughs> yeah. So this kind of segues neatly into um, Lauren's other uh, post this past week on the Emberway blog about closure actions. Chase, do you want to talk about uh, some closure actions? Uh, so yeah, I really, I really love this add-on. Uh, this was uh, RWJ Blue um, had created a JS bin for this, and then uh, him and uh, Lauren, made, you know, made this into an add-on, and uh, it's pretty awesome. And this blog post uh, actually helped me understand a little bit about how it how it works. And, you know, made me kind of like want to dig into the source code a little bit, which I did. And that was, you know, it's pretty simple, but, you know, there's some, um, you know, cool stuff kind of going on. And this kind of talks about that. Um, and then the reasoning behind it, too, which is great because, you know, I never really thought about the fact that you're, you know, when you triggered an action from some template somewhere and you said action foo, that foo could actually happen like, you know, one of three different types of things anywhere up the line, you know, so you could... It could be in the component that you're in right now. It could be in the controller that's, you know, running all of those components. It could be in the the route for that. So, and it can be in routes up the chain, you know. So, it's uh it's pretty confusing. So the only case you have now, um, and this is, uh, coming from you know kind of looking at the source, um, you know that it's going to happen in a route, and that's like what this really gives you is that you know you know you can eliminate two different types of things and say I know this happens in the route. Uh, the one thing that this does. Uh, seem to do from looking at the source code is that it will get the most uh, deeply nested one first. So if you had like three routes and they all had an action called foo, you would get the the one closest to you. You know, you get the the, the lowest level route, um, and that's you know that seems normal. You know, it's basically just action bubbling. So um, you know, it's works as expected, but um, it's it's really powerful. I really like this, and you know. So so you're saying that it will get so if if I have uh, foo bar baz as a set of routes of nested routes. If I define an action called, you know, um, print something, <laughs> uh, and I define that in all three of those foobar baz routes, um, it's going to get uh, the baz route and run its print, uh, print something action. Yeah, if, if baz is the lowest level one. Okay, but if 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 baz didn't define print something, but uh, bar did, it would execute that action. Right, right. Okay, so it, it would go up the chain uh, looking for it, but as soon as it finds one, it's going to use whatever the lowest one is. Yeah, yeah, that's what it seems oh, like. Cool. And you know, and the other cool thing about these actions are um, you actually get to deal with the return value. Um, yeah. Because they're, they're closure actions. Um, and so that's you know pretty powerful too. Like we've done this before where we, uh, you might want to get a promise back and then like wait on uh, the response of like, you know, some some query to an API or something and say, there's a validation message. I need to not, you know, close this page. Um, so yeah, there's a, it's a really useful add on. Um, we use it a few times now and, uh, and every time I'm just like thankful that it's there, it's, um, not rolled into core or anything. You know, this is one of the things you have to have an add on for. And so she mentions is that, um, it is kind of painful right now. Ember's in this kind of transition period where, you know, actions are changing, but, uh, I think the ability for an add on to have this, you know this kind of fundamental change on the the framework, but still feel very Embry. Um, kind of speaks a lot to Ember's power. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I really like the philosophy of uh, Ember's core as it's as it's switching. I think a lot of uh, questions are asked, like, "Oh, hey, what if we could do this?" And instead of adding it to core, you create an add-on, and there's enough uh, flexibility there to where you can actually test these ideas out and see how they work and how they mesh, and it uh, doesn't have to get in the way of you know, the core changes or like it doesn't have to pollute core work um, while during that exploration phase. So it's pretty cool. 
I, I yeah. definitely, I love seeing add-ons like this. Yeah, definitely. So throughout Emberconf, uh, John and I were working on, you know, updating the Ember Weekend site to Which use is JSON API. Still not done. Uh, yeah, don't, don't don't mention that. <laughs> uh, so we we were, we were working on getting this uh, this update to use JSON API with an Elixir backend, uh, which is all ready. Um, actually, there, there's only a couple uh, minor things that are keeping us from launching this, which hopefully we'll get that soon. Um, but uh, while I, we were mentioning to many people that we were converting over to JSON API, and one of the people that was really inter interested in that conversion was Adolfo Builas, who was writing a JSON API book. And so we recently got a hold of copies of this. Uh, it's a very good basic intro to JSON API, along with um, a decent beginner's guide to just how to use Rails as an API. Yeah, and you know, the the, the really important thing to, to note here is that JSON API, while it is a very uh, verbose spec and the spec has a lot of information, uh, there are still a lot of questions that are unanswered, even in the spec. Uh, so... I don't know. We, we were. I think we were talking about um, uh, loading associated records, and there's a way to do that with links. And like this book has a whole section on how to do that. Um, so the the book really, um, it's it's like uh, it's a, it's a relatively fast read. Uh, going through it, you can really get a lot of information about how to utilize JSON API right now. And honestly, there's not a lot of resources there. So this is such a good a good time for for this to come out. And also, I'm really excited because Ember CLI 101 was so good that I, I just have so much confidence in Adolfo's work. Uh, I'm really excited to start busting this one out and really applying a lot of the be better practices around uh, our JSON API. Yeah, and this book goes into you know some of the more uh, obscure, obscure features of JSON API and how that it ties in with uh, like what's new in Rails 5, the dash dash API. Um, so like one of the things that was really helpful was knowing which status codes get returned for you know which things. Like if you don't, um, ask for content type JSON API, um, the API returns a 415 and says, you know, I don't know how to deal with this response. And then, you know, so a lot of the APIs are driven off of status codes. Um, but one of the other things that JSON API allows is application-specific error codes. So you have a status code, which is a normal HTTP status code, but then you also might have uh, independent application error codes that would, you know, work across the browser or your iOS app or whatever. And so this kind of covers the differences between those. Um, there are also different types of uh, error messages. There's like an error title and an error, I think it's a d detail. Um, and it covers that in, in, in great detail. Um, and then this goes on to build a simple example app um, that basically has a very simple uh, model of uh, friends uh, that you're loaning an article to. So, it, you know, there is a... Um, kind of a structure that kind of exercises each piece of JSON API and then shows how to how to build that. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really excited. Like I said, uh, running into the JSON API things, learning how to deal with associations and create uh, relatively complex object, object graphs. Uh, it, it, a lot of their, a lot of the documentation is there. It's just, it's just hard to understand. It took, it took me quite a while to kind of get some of the edge cases in my head. Uh, so I, this book is definitely going to be something that, uh, you know, if, if I were starting to work on a JSON API app, I would pick up and, and, uh, and start, uh, you know, looking over because I'm sure it will save countless hours of your, of your time, uh, just trying to load all this information in your head. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, and just keep in mind with JSON API, it's, it's kind of an evolving spec. It is at 1.0, but it's not like that, that 1.0 solved every possible case. So there are things that like other, you know, types of i don't know you'd call that api structures like what is um like a like a 
SOAP or something or right. some some types of APIs have certain features that JSON API didn't roll in. And that's most likely because, you know, if you try to standardize on a on a bad set of features, then it's gonna be terrible for the for the actual for the actual specification. So it's kind of like right now it is the Wild West when you start getting into more complicated things. Um, but I'm sure the the best solutions will you know float to the top. So earlier this month, uh, shortly after uh, EmberConf, um, Heroku released a an interview that uh, Terrence Lee and Matthew Krieger did with Tom Dale, um, discussing a lot of different things, uh, discussing where Ember sits inside of uh, you know web development in general, the space. Uh, as compared to, say, mobile development and or native app development, rather. And uh, it really is caught between kind of mobile devs and traditional webs. Uh, and, and one of the quotes here was, you know, you're caught in the crossfire. No matter what you do, someone's going to criticize you. You either have too much JavaScript or you don't have enough features. So uh, discussing, like, how how to put Ember in a really good spot to be, like, like uh, EmberConf's uh, keynote was saying, as an SDK for the web, um, and they, they, they talk about all this stuff. It's actually really cool. Um, so you can listen to it. And as you're listening to it, it's also um, trans- transcribed. transcribed. Yeah, that's the word. Uh, on the, on the right-hand side, so you can actually read along, uh, which is, I think, pretty great. I, we've been talking about trying to do that for Ember Weekend for quite some time. Um, and I think it's a, it's a really cool thing. Uh, some of the other things that were discussed in this uh, were uh, Fastboot, talking about how it's uh, noticeably um, faster on slower network. Networks. So uh, on on a normal broadband internet connection with uh, on your desktop, it's going to be uh, a, a fast boot versus non fast boot app is going to be pretty much the same. But uh, as soon as you start dipping down the slower uh, to a slower network, so two G or three G, um, you see some pretty great performance gains, uh, which is pretty cool. And and really uh, thinking and, and and talking about how you need to think about an Ember app when it can run in both Node and in a browser. Uh, because there really is like that, that isn't, that is a decision or a discussion that you have to have every time you create a new feature to really decide like, okay, well, what are the key features here? Can we do these and serve them up via fast boot? Is it possible to, you know, you have to make a lot of decisions up front. How do we architect this thing such that, um, you know, it will, it will be correct for people who are, who are connecting, um, for the first time. So it's really, uh, so it's really interesting. I really enjoyed that, that aspect of the discussion. Um, it also talked about Heroku's work on the build pack uh, for kind of doing Fastboot easily in Heroku, which um, we actually um, were dabbling with this a, a little while ago, and it was exceedingly uh, pleasant. Uh, the The interactions there were pretty simple, and uh, and I, I I the amount of work going into that is is pretty tremendous. So I think uh, Terrence Lee is spearheading that and. It's uh, it's pretty cool. I, I really like using Heroku and being able to just you know kind of get fast boot out of the box uh, relatively for free is uh, pretty awesome. Yeah, and uh, one of the other things that uh, that Tom touched on with this was that the yeah, it sounds weird to say Tom, right? Because like his name is literally like one word. It's Tom Dale. You're cool. You're good. <laughs> you got it, man. Go <laughs> go either way, man. Tom Dale, Tom. It's cool. We're all Dale, friends here. TD. TD. Um, <laughs> so. One of the other things that Tom Dale actually mentioned with this is uh, a lot of work that's going into uh, trying to get app cache for free, uh, and that that uh, seems really interesting. Uh, like it's a it's something that would be really nice to have. And I've worked with apps that that you know we had to do a lot of work in order to get the manifest right, and then 
uh, get everything working. And I'm sure there's a ton of work when you try to roll that in with Fastboot uh, because now you're getting different versions of the, you know, index HTML back depending on, you know, the state, you know, that, that gets rendered from Fastboot. So, um, but hopefully, you know, in the not too distant future, we'll have, you know, ridiculously fast apps um, that have, that are completely cached. He was mentioning something like um, everyone should have sub 200 millisecond uh, second reloads. Um, and so that, that'll be really nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cool. It's definitely worth a, a listen to. I know it's a little bit out of, uh, out of date. I think uh, interview weeks plus uh, straight off of Ember, EmberConf, we, uh, we ended up missing some things in early, uh, early April. Uh, so uh, maybe this is old, old news, but I really enjoyed this interview and I think it's worth your time. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for listening to Ember Weekend. If you'd like to follow along, visit us at emberweekend.com. Or you can find us at Ember Weekend, all one word, on Twitter or subscribe via RSS. I'm Chase McCarthy. And I'm Jonathan Jackson. And we'll see you next weekend.